0: Are you somebody that Paul looks at and goes, I have to talk to you like a baby? Because you're acting like a baby. You care about the things the world cares about. You're disrupted by the same things that the world is disrupted by. You're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. You're not growing in maturity. You're just acting like ordinary people. Are you contributing to the building of this temple? Welcome to the Reach College Podcast with your speaker, Dr. Taylor Gaff. All right, so I was uh, hanging out with my nephew. He is not yet three. I think he's not yet three. And we were playing Legos because that's like the greatest toy ever. That's that's the toy I grew up like obsessed with. So we're playing Legos. The interesting thing about playing Legos with um, Zeke is it feels like we're not like single-minded on what we're trying to accomplish. So the thing about playing Legos with a two-year-old is that um, they're like busy doing their own thing, and they don't really communicate what that is. But whatever you make progress on, anything you're doing, uh, suddenly that is somehow like counterproductive to their mission. So they have to like take that apart. They're not going to add it or use any of the pieces. It just can't exist. They're like they just have to like pull it apart, right? So that's like I, I you know, you just kind of have to roll with the punches at that point and uh, understand your your creations are not going to last very long. Um, have you ever tried to build something like like fragile, right? Like a, like a house of cards or set up dominoes or like a sandcastle. If you've ever built something like that, you know that it is, let's use the word impossible. It's, it's, it's it is impossible to do that with a two-year-old, right? As soon as you're like dominoes with a two-year-old, you get like three set up, okay? Sandcastle kicked over, deck of cards. I don't even know why you would try that. That's just <laughs> like house of cards is not going to work, right? So the thing is, you have to be super careful to set these things up to like build these things. It takes a lot of concentration, a lot of focus. I mean, I let's be honest, I still can't build a house of cards. That's like I'm impressed by anybody who can do that more than just like your basic like four cards standing up, right? So the thing is it's basically impossible until that kid gets older, right? Once my nephew, like give my nephew, you know several more years I don't know what the age is where they start to not tear apart my stuff, but whatever that is, it's like they have to grow up, right? They have to like mature and like once they mature to a certain level, then they can actually help or just not be, you know, destructive, right? All of a sudden you can, they can participate with you because they, they start to learn to communicate. They start to learn to share in the project, all those things that a two-year-old doesn't know how to do all right, so, and they need to grow. You ever notice how some people don't grow up and don't mature, right? Like, have you ever had a group project with somebody that you're like, that person actually makes this job harder, Right, I know if you've if you've been in school, like group projects are always the worst thing. Cause you're like, great. I somehow I'm always going to be paired with the two people who want to do the least amount of work possible in my group, or maybe you are that person, right? Like, I don't know. But the thing is, some people are lazy. Some people are disruptive. Basically, just childish, hard to work with. Growing involves training. It involves learning. It involves maturing, so that you can participate. See, the Christian life is like this. When you get saved, you're basically a baby Christian. And as you grow from being a baby Christian, you, you become like a toddler Christian, if you will. You start to learn uh, you know, your motor skills, but it's like you're, you're still not necessarily a part of the team. You have to grow into that. The thing about human growth is to some extent it's automatic. Christian growth is not necessarily automatic. You have to to actually let that happen. You have to participate in that. Let God grow you in that way. See, God saved you, and he has plans for you to help build his kingdom. He wants you to participate in the work that he's doing. There are two kind of baby Christian reactions typically to to that reality. One is, well, I don't need any training. I already know what I need to know. Honestly, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. And the, those people, they tend to get mad that God isn't using them the way that they feel like they should be used. They're not, they're not doing what they should already be. Uh, they're not where they, sh- they think they should already be. Instead of letting themselves grow and be trained to the point where they can then do whatever God has for them. The other one, the second one is, the, the other baby Christian answer is like, I'm saved, check, and then I, I don't have to do anything else. I don't, I don't want to work. I don't want to participate. I just wanted to get my seat in heaven. That's what I wanted, to get in just inside the gate so that I don't have to go to the, the other place. right? And, and neither of these, that is someone who is content to be a baby forever. They're content to not grow. See, the right reaction is somebody with humility who is training, who is content with where God has them now and letting God grow them To what they need to be in the future. To who they need to be to do the things that he has for them to do. Because he has plans to help build his kingdom that are going to fulfill you. That are going to fill you up and let you become a part of it in a way that you're going to have a joy you can't imagine. When you're participating in building God's kingdom in the way that he's designed you to participate. That is where true joy and true fulfillment comes from. In a way... That nothing else can counterfeit. Nothing else can, can make, can give you that same fulfillment. Often the only reason that we aren't being used the way that God wants to use us is our own immaturity. It's our own unwillingness to grow, our own pride that is stopping us from being someone that God is Truly employing to the fullest of our abilities. We're in a series of lessons on 1 Corinthians, and I've called this series Church Fails. It's written to the church in Corinth that is currently going through just this uh, litany of problems. Some of them are uh, leadership divisions. Some of them are uh, doctrinal issues. Some of it's just plain and simple sexual immorality, uh, immorality of other kinds. like Whatever sin it is, it's just problems. And Paul is writing this letter where he is going to walk them through, here's how Christians should behave. Here's how Christians should act. He starts with this premise. This, he starts by saying, everything is about Christ and Him crucified. That's what matters. That's the only thing that matters, is Christ and Him crucified. He is the centerpiece of your faith and of the way you act. See, once you understand that the gospel is the reason we behave a certain way as believers, you understand that this is why there's not Christianity 2.0. It's not, I understood the gospel, I got saved, and now I can move on to the advanced stuff and do all the, the cool, uh you know, elite Christian things. It's not how it works. See, you understand the gospel, that saves you, and then you increasingly understand the gospel your entire life, and that causes you to more and more and more act in praise and worship and service to God. The deeper you understand the gospel, the more you will react to it. So he starts with Christ crucified as the center, and this week he's going to look at the church in Corinth and he's going to say, why are you still acting like unbelievers? Or why are you still acting like baby christians why haven't you grown changed matured what is the problem he says stop being unteachable and start building god's kingdom paul in this first section i want you to understand he basically just calls them big babies i mean you could you can read into this passage you can almost finish every sentence with you big babies it just, it fits. It's the tone he's taking on with them. He even uses the language of children. Look at verse, uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to consume it. But even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are are you not walking like ordinary people? For when one person says, I am with Paul, and another, I am with Apollos, are you not ordinary people? He says, I couldn't talk to you like believers. You were just fleshly. You didn't understand. See, I've told you guys over and over again, we talked about the foolishness of God. We talked about how the world looks at salvation. We talked about the fact that People who aren't saved can't see the biblical truth of the gospel. It's silly. It's foolishness to them. Right. And he says, here's the thing. You were saved, but I still couldn't talk to you like spiritual people who understood the gospel because you still acted like fleshly people. You were spiritual babies. And here's the thing. It's not bad that he says you got saved and you were spiritual babies. It's bad that he says, and you're still spiritual babies. You haven't moved on. I gave you milk, I tried to nurture you, to grow you, and here we are, like nothing happened, where we haven't moved on. He says you're acting like ordinary people. He literally looks at the problems they're having, and he says, how is this any different than the way the world acts? You are having the same reactions, the same attitudes, the same problems that unbelievers have. We're called to be different than that. You should be different than that. If you're growing in Christ's likeness, you should know how to act in a different way. Right? This is back to the two-year-old that can't stop ripping apart the, the everything that I'm doing with the Legos. Right? See, here's the thing. If my nephew is 14 and we still have that problem, something has gone wrong. Right? He's still acting like a two-year-old. And at that point, I don't want to play Legos with him anymore. Right? The key is, how do we become someone who, is, who has progressed beyond acting the way we did in our flesh? How do we stop being spiritual babies? We're supposed to be different. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each... I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now the one who plants and the one who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Okay, he says, uh, first of all, If you weren't here for the beginning, I'm going to recap a little bit. One of the first things we opened up with was this. uh, In Corinthians, at the beginning, he says, there's a group of you saying, well, I follow Paul, and a group saying, I follow Apollos, and an even super spiritual group going, well, I follow Jesus Christ, right? And he's basically mocking these divisions they're having in the church. There's not even, some scholars think it's not even that he, that Paul and Apollos are the ones that people are kind of having divisions over, but he's mocking these divisions based on leadership but he's using his own name and Apollos' own name. Almost like they're arguing about leadership that's even less impressive than Paul and Apollos, right? You can almost see somebody being like, well, I follow Paul, right? Because Paul, right? Paul, one of the greatest writers in the New Testament. But it's almost like he's mocking the fact that they're arguing about following just people that aren't even worth being named, right? They're arguing about who's who's behind what factional leader in the church, right? So he's mocking this, and he goes back and he says, he, he's, he's referencing that same argument at this point, saying, what What then are these people? What then is Paul? What then is Apollos? Why would you follow us? And he says, we're just servants, right? He calls himself and Apollos servants, right? Two of the, d- these giants in the faith at this period, right? First century believers, the first century church. These are the guys that are making mo- movers and shakers in the book of Acts, Right? And he says, what are we except servants? Why are you boasting in following servants? That's not the point. You're not paying attention to the right things. He says, it's a team effort. See, Apollos I planted the seed. I told you the gospel. I brought it to you. And then Apollos, he cultivated it. He watered it. He, he, he gave it what it needed to be nurtured and to grow. But then he says, but who caused the growth? God did. Right. See, here's the thing. Anybody in here ever like actually planted a plant? Here's the thing. It's hard. It's hard to keep a plant alive. And here's the thing, even if you even if you get an easy plant like one that's not going to like die like one day without the exact perfect treatment, it's still not on like it's still not in your capacity to make the plant grow. You water it, you give it sunlight, but you can't like get into the plant and be like, "All right, now soak up the water and get bigger." Like you can't do that. You don't have the ability to do that. Right, is the same thing with discipleship. Okay, I want you to understand something. Discipleship is, is a big word. We were commanded to what? Go make disciples, not go make converts, right? Because we were commanded to go teach people how to follow Jesus. That's not a teach people how to convert to a Christianity religion. It's teaching me how to walk in faith behind Jesus, to actually follow him. Okay, so here's the thing you can only be faithful with that process. You can't actually make anybody do it. You can't get somebody to become a Christian, and you can't get somebody who is a Christian to grow and mature and follow Jesus. All you can do is nurture. All you can do is be faithful with them. If they are not saved, that faithfulness looks like planting the seed. It looks like saying, here's the gospel, here's the gospel, here's the gospel, and here's the beautiful part. Once they're saved, They now, they should now get it. They are now spiritually uh, uh, capable of understanding what you're talking about, but it's the same thing. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel that's watering it, but neither of those things are what's causing the growth. You are a fellow worker with God who is the one that causes the growth. Your job is to participate in that process. We don't save people. We aren't the hero. My question for you is, are you helping? Are you doing your part? Are you a fellow worker with God? Are you actually pouring in and planting seeds and watering them? Are you content to be a baby believer your entire life? See, some of us, some of us have called it quits right where we are. We've said, well, this is far enough. I know I'm going to heaven and I'm good with that. And here's the thing: like, What that tells me is that you still have priorities that are worldly based and they're going to come to nothing. Even if you accomplish something, that is not going to be eternal. It's not going to come to something. The only thing that's going to be eternal is building God's kingdom. Are you already the smartest person in the room? Are you concerned with proving that? Are you being unteachable and unusable? In verse 9, he transitions analogies, right? He says, we're fellow workers. He says, you are God's field, which is what he's just been talking about, about planting and watering. And he says, you are also God's building. So this verse is used to to connect the two analogies. He's going to move from the field, and now he's going to go to a building. And that's what we're going to talk about. The question is, are you building God's kingdom? Are you a part of that? All of your work at the end will be tested. Everything that you do in this life will be tested, but only the eternal work will remain. I was a runner. I ran for years. I ran at the collegiate level. Uh, I wasn't good, Um, but I, I ran a lot, and I had to run a lot. I was forced to run all the time. So one of the things that I hate to do is pay to run. People are like, we should go run this 5K. And I'm like, yeah, no. No, there's an entry fee. I'm out. Like, you know what? If I want to run a 5K, I can walk out my front door and I can run 5K. And it doesn't cost me a dime. Right? So I, I can't do it. I can't bring myself to pay for what is and should be a totally free activity. But something I've noticed about running is... I tend to be more serious about running if there's a test coming up. Right? See, the thing about paying for a 5K is not that you should have to pay to run, it's that when you know the 5K is coming, you'll go out and run 5K on your own to get ready for it. We often perform when there's a test ahead. We will prepare harder when we know something is coming. See, I uh I listen to audiobooks And I catch, you know, so much of the information. I don't catch 100% of it. But that's a different level of attention that I pay than when I'm reading a book for my class that I'm going to have a test in, that I'm going to have to write a paper over the material. Because I know the test is coming, I'm going to pay more attention. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation... (laughs) and another is building on it but each person must be careful how he builds on it for no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ okay let's talk about this discipleship thing i've i've told you guys this before if i told you here's a blueprint for the house and here's all the tools you need for the house go build a house i don't think anybody in here would just be like got it a to z i'm going to build this house no problem okay The same is true for Christianity. This is the blueprint. This is the tools. And when I hand you this and I go, go be a Christian. The thing is, you might know some of this. We all know some of this. And none of us know all of this. The thing is, we need somebody who is our master builder. Now, I I do the same thing. I give you a blueprint for a house and I give you all the tools for the house. And I also give you a master builder. And I say, hey, go build a house. Well, now, even if you know... 70% of how to build that house, hopefully you're following this guy who knows the last 30%, knows the piece you don't know. Or maybe he knows 20 more percent and he's got another master builder who knows the last 10%. That's how discipleship works. The discipleship is, I say, hey, I've got some of the pieces. Follow me. I'll be your master builder. I'll help you figure out the next steps of Christianity. Otherwise, you're just in here looking at blueprints going, I'm getting about 5% of this. Yep. You know, and like that's not, that's not cutting it right? I, the Christian life is not something that you do alone. It is a team effort. He says, I laid the foundation. I shared the gospel. You got what mattered from me. And now someone else is building on top of that. And he says, but be careful that you don't lay any other foundation than what Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. It's the gospel. I cannot, cannot say this enough. There is nothing else in your whole life, in all the times you attend church, in however advanced you think you are in Christianity, or just as a person, there is nothing besides the gospel. That is what matters. That is what your entire life should be built on. It is the only thing that will be eternal. Everything you build on top of that foundation will last. Everything that that is a new foundation is something else. It's the house built on sand. It's going to wash away. It doesn't Matter, And that's what he's saying right here. He's saying, this is the foundation. And I laid that foundation for you. I gave you the gospel. You had the foundation. And now someone else is building on top of that because it's a team effort. Look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident. For the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work, which he has built on, it remains, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet only so as through fire. Okay, so there's two groups of material here. I want you to see this. There is a group of material, gold, silver, and precious stones that is refined by fire. It is purified by fire. It is actually made better because of fire. And then there's a second set of building materials, hay, straw, can't remember what was the last one? Wood. Okay. What are those, what happens to those materials with fire? They're destroyed. They go away completely. Here's the interesting thing. Do we need wood? What a good thing in our society! Yes, yes, we need wood. Listen, the point of spiritual things is not to say forget the whole world, don't even eat tomorrow. Just read your Bible, right? Like that's not the point. You still need physical and temporal things in this life. We live here and now, and we're in a we're in a, a state where we need the wood, the hay, the straw. But the point is not to build your life's work around the temporal things that are going to burn up, that are going to disappear. The goal is to take the foundation of Christ and build on top of it things that will be refined. See, what does he say? He says the fire's going to come. It's going to burn everything up, okay? Now, the guy who took his foundation that is Jesus and built with it precious and costly stones, the guy who who put the precious metals that are refined, he now has this reward. He's going to have this eternal work that's, that's now gifted to him. That's now his. Right? Meanwhile, the other guy, he's gonna be saved because he's standing on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And all that wood, hay, and straw is just gonna be burned away. He's gonna be standing there without it, with it, with nothing, except the fact that he gets into heaven. Now, is that guy better off than the guy that didn't have the foundation? He sure is. My question is where do you want to be? Like, like, don't get me wrong. If it's between being outside the gates of heaven or being just inside the gates of heaven, I sincerely hope that you're inside the gates. But I don't want to just be just inside the gates. I want to be as close to the front row of that worship service as I can possibly be. I want to be as far and as deep into the presence of God as I can possibly manage. And part of that is by not saying... Well, I've got what it takes. I can figure this out. I'm going to be the one that gets there. It's by saying, God, help me. Grow me. Change me. I don't know what this is. I don't know everything about this book. Send me master builders to train me. Show me what I don't know. Let me repent of how I'm against this, how I'm not worshiping you in this. It's that humility that lets God grow you. That's not just like the world. It's not fleshly. It's just chasing Jesus. You know, you know the prayer you can pray that will, that jumpstart, well, jumpstarted this for me. I just prayed, God, show me the gospel. Show me what it is. Show me the truth of it. Show me. I still pray that prayer. Because my growth, I didn't reach it. Well, I'm a pastor now. Gospel check. Now, now I'm really into that advanced Christian. No, I'm doing the same exact thing. I'm saying, God, every time I open this book, Show me the gospel in a way that changes my life. Because that is me letting God be my fellow worker so I can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ in my life things that will be refined by fire, not destroyed by fire. In 1 Peter, he uses a term, he calls us living stones. Living stone. So he says that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundational stone. And he says on that cornerstone, we as living stones are laid on top of it. And we are built into God's temple. This is the same imagery that Paul is using right here. Paul is talking about actually being built into the temple of Jesus. He's saying God is going to reside in us, we are the temple. Listen to me when I tell you this. There is nothing more fulfilling in all of existence than being in the presence of the living God. And the beautiful thing is God designed you to actually be something He resides inside of so that you can be fulfilled in that way eternally. So what happened? We lost that because of sin. We got separated from God, and the thing that fills us up and satisfies us wholly, we got ripped apart from. Forgiveness is the process of God redeeming us and reconciling us, bringing us back into that connection where we can be fulfilled and with Him. If your whole life is not spent chasing being in God's presence and being in perfect connection with Him, you are chasing things that can't fulfill you, that can't satisfy you. That can't make you whole. They don't have the ability to. Heaven is going to be the place where you are perfectly in connection with God at all times. That's why it will be heaven. What that means is that you, in and of yourself, will be the temple of God. And it's even better than that. It's not that you individually and alone will be the temple of God. It's that we will be the temple of God. We will all be connected in community. We will all be connected in the same spirit with God and with each other. We are the body. We are the temple. We are the field. I'm not a big um, organized sports fan. Um, I've been in and out of caring about football at the collegiate and pro levels throughout my life. And I like baseball. And I really like going to professional sports. Like, I'll go to. A sports game and and enjoy it, but I don't really like watching on TV. Well, part of the reason I figured out that I don't like it is because um, the team, they don't care about you. They don't even know you exist. I think what bugs me a lot is getting dressed up like a member of the team, literally wearing a jersey, sitting in your home, being emotionally distraught over the course of several hours, and then going to church next Sunday and acting like you won the game. You didn't win the game. You actually get zero credit for it. But that's what we do, right? We put on our jersey, we walk in, and we're like, yeah, that's right, because I'm a Chiefs fan, and the Chiefs won, so I'm special. And it's like, well, sure, the Chiefs won, good for them, but you did nothing. (laughs) Like, you did actually nothing, right? So that's why I'm not a big organized sports fan. You don't get credit for the win, but you still brag like you do. See, here's the thing. When you're on God's team, you are actually participating. You're actually a part of this. You're wearing the jersey. You're wearing the uniform. You are a soldier in the army, and you actually get credit for the win. It's like the difference between a a guy who sees his country going to war and joins the army and goes to basic training and then goes off to war and fights and we win the war versus the guy who sees his country going to war, goes out in his backyard, shoots a gun a lot, watches the news every night and is like, yeah, we're winning this war. Like, you didn't do anything. You didn't help, right? You can act like a soldier, but you're not actually participating. See, the key is we have to be a part of God's army. We actually have to participate in this. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys the temple of God, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So he's talking to the church collectively. He's saying you are the temple of God, all of you together. You are what God resides in. If anybody destroys the church, God comes for them. Right? You don't get away with persecuting God's bride. Right? That's the other analogy for it. He says you are a part of the church, but the thing is you... Each individually are a valuable piece of the church. Now, keep keep in mind, the reference here is to the temple. You know, we build buildings like this with like movable walls and stuff and whiteboards. But like, think about the, the temple. The temple had stuff overlaid in gold. I wish that was the church we had. <laughs> like, that would be so cool, right? They went to, they went to the temple and they saw beautiful, beautiful pieces of the, of the building all over. I mean, it was an amazing place. And what this, this reference here is Paul saying, each one of you is one of those beautiful pieces of the temple. You are individually valuable insofar as you are part of, as you are a part of the whole, you are contributing valuable piece to what God finds valuable, the temple. Do you know that you're a part of the temple? That you are a precious stone. That you have value. Do you believe that? Do you want to know how you know that you believe that? Do you treat yourself like junk? Do you treat yourself like trash? Do you beat yourself down? Or let the enemy tell you lies about yourself in your head? Tell you that you're useless? that you have no value do you constantly have to prove how smart you are how funny you are how pretty you are are you constantly trying to prove your value to other people around you and yourself see that's not believing that God sees you as a valuable part of his temple as something that he wants to reside in You have value, but you can only find it in one place, and it is in your Savior. It is in being the temple of God. You then get to participate in building that temple. See, once you find value as being a living stone placed in that temple, placed on the cornerstone, the goal is then to go find other people who don't yet see their value and help them become a part of that structure help add them in, to bring them into the temple of God and say, you're a part of this now. You have a place. And honestly, when you begin to realize what God has done for you, how can you keep that to yourself? Help build the temple, bring people in, do the eternal work. Look at verse 18. Take care that no one deceives himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in the sight of God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise by their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are useless. The smartest person in the room is usually the person most blinded by their own pride. The person who thinks that they've got it all figured out usually usually doesn't have enough humility to see just how blind they are. I mean, that's what the Pharisees were when when Jesus showed up on the scene. The point is having the humility to step back and say, you know what, I've been wrong a lot of times in my life. I don't know a lot of things. Maybe I should just step back and ask God to show me. Step back and, and let God run the show. It says, become foolish to be truly wise uh, another earlier part that we've talked about was this foolishness of God piece. He's saying the most foolish moment of God, the most weak moment of God was when Jesus died on the cross and that was somehow more powerful and more brilliant than anything we've ever come up with. That, that alone was powerful enough to save every single human that's ever existed. God's weakest moment was so powerful it could save all of human all of human history. That's how... That's how the weakness of God works, right? See, when we look at that from a fleshly standard, you look at Jesus dying on the cross, and you're like, God got killed? It doesn't seem much like a God move, right? Like, God's supposed to be all powerful. What we miss is that that seemingly weak moment was so much more powerful than anything we could possibly imagine. And Paul right here is referencing that again by saying, if you want to become truly wise, you have to begin to see with God's wisdom through God's eyes true power true wisdom see the wisdom of this age is useless look at verse 21 so then no one is to be boasting in people for all things belong for all things belong to you whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God so he ends this section uh, he ends this entire section about divisions, right? We started with, "I ah, well, I follow Paul, I follow, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos," right? That's where we started this section in First Corinthians, and it's coming to an end right here. And he's basically asking this question: Why are you boasting in people? Why are you making people a big deal? Why are you making? Listen, what is an influencer other than just people bragging about who they follow? Like that's why that's why influencers get popular, get famous. People flock to them. They treat them as their Messiah, right? And he's saying the whole world belongs to you. I want you to understand this phrasing. It's a little weird. He says, he says, there's God and Christ on earth, the Messiah belonged to God. And he says, and you belong to Christ and all things belong to you. Why? Because all things belong to Christ. Christ subordinated everything to himself, including us. And he makes available all of that to you. See, what does that mean? What Paul is trying to say here is you've stopped one step short of, of where you should be bragging. Instead of saying, well, I belong to Christ and everything belongs to him. Right. That's what you should be saying. He's going say saying that you've gone one step lower pretty much on your level. And you gone. well, I belong to that person. What? Nothing belongs to that person. Except for apparently you, you've submitted yourself to them. He's saying, no, don't boast in other people who have access to whatever you have access to. He says, boast in Christ who has everything. Don't stop short. Don't have eyes for this world where you're impressed by people. Have eyes that see eternity and are boasting in God's eternal power. You're boasting too low. Are you a part of God's temple? Or are you unbuilt? The only thing worse than just being immature is actually being somebody who's destroying the temple. Are you somebody that's coming to church and contributing? Serving? Sharing the gospel? Planting watering seeds? Building a ministry? Or are you somebody who's creating divisions? That's following people? That's causing strife? Are you somebody that Paul looks at and goes, I have to talk to you like a baby because you're acting like a baby. You care about the things the world cares about. You're disrupted by the same things that the world is disrupted by. You're not exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. You're not growing in maturity. You're just acting like ordinary people. Are you contributing to the building of this temple? I know that you guys have people that you can bring to church. That's why... That's why we get these cards. It's just to make it easier. But here's the thing. The cards don't matter. Oftentimes the cards just sit on the table. You can invite somebody without the cards. The point is, are you going to take that card and go, you know what? This week, that person that God's been laying on my heart, I'm going to pray over them. In my quiet times, I'm going to pray over this card. I'm going to pray over my own willingness and boldness to share the gospel and invite them to church. And then do it. Plant the seed. Water the ground. Make disciples. Lay the foundation. Build the temple. Be a part of the eternal work. The work that actually fulfills us, builds us up, satisfies us. There's a, there's a good chance, there's a lot of you in this room who are here and have been here for a minute because you found something at Evergreen that you have never experienced. Not because not because people at Evergreen, I mean again, not because of Michael Gabbard or Philip Jackson, what are they? They're servants. But what are, they, what are they doing? They're watering. They're laying foundations. They're building on top of it. You can be a part of that. And you didn't just come here to sit and receive mode forever. You came here to then bring in other people who need to hear the gospel, who need to grow in their faith, who need to understand their value. Do you want to help build God's kingdom stop being a baby stop being a self appointed genius stop trying to prove that you have value and let God show you the value he has for you submit to God and let him grow you find true value in eternal work again everything's going to be tested I'm not saying don't have a job. Don't eat food. Don't turn on your AC or your heat, right? Like I'm not saying that, that just let the physical world go to shambles around you. Like you are a physical being, you will die. Okay? What I'm saying is those things will burn up. Keep in mind what your priorities are. Keep in mind what your building on the foundation that's going to be eternal and remain. And my question for you is, if you've built a house out of entirely temporal things, are you prepared for the last day when you make it into heaven because you're standing on the foundation and have nothing else to show for it? I don't know this. I, I, I can't prove this. I don't know what the bar is for this statement. But I don't want to get to heaven... And God not be able to say to me, well done. Like, it'd be great to get in the doors, but man, I don't want to get in the doors and God go, welcome. I want to show up and God say, hey, well done. You helped build my temple. You did exactly, you know, maybe I'm a five-talent kind of guy and God gave me five talents and says, go, go get five more. Maybe I'm a one-talent kind of guy. But I still am responsible for taking that one talent and investing it, and being faithful with it, and building God's temple with it.